0: Ah, Paris, city of love and lights and rubbish and pigeon poo. I mean, Paris has been delighting tourists for decades, but also disappointing them to the point where quite often Francophile Japanese tourists especially would have breakdowns when they were faced with the gritty reality. This seems a bit OTT to me. I mean, it's a city, so of course it's got garbage and graffiti. But now a new generation of travellers are experiencing this so-called Paris syndrome, and they've been sharing their disappointment on social media ironic, as you will hear soon. But okay, no one wants to fork out a matzah to be disappointed on holiday. So how can we manage that gulf between our expectations and the reality of a destination? Ben Groundwater is a travel journalist, and he also hosts a podcast called Flight of Fancy. Great to speak with you again, Ben. It's great to be here. Have you ever been let down by an uh, an overhyped travel destination? Ever swooned in the street at the horror of it all? (laughs)
1: Look, I don't think I've swooned in the street. I don't think it's gotten to that point. I I was thinking about this. You know, I I tend to have a really positive outlook on on travel, and I really enjoy the experience. And I don't think there's any sort of full destinations that have really disappointed me. But certainly there are, you know, attractions or or very famous sites that I've got to and and been very underwhelmed by. Oh, yeah? And kind of thought, like, yeah, yeah. Like, things like... Like the Spanish Steps in Rome, uh, extremely famous because they featured in a film which I haven't seen, uh, and and it, it's just kind of one of those places that you're expected to go when you're in Rome because it's famous. And you and I don't know. I just got there and I was kind of like oh, okay, like, do they do they lead somewhere really amazing? And <laughs> yeah. you go up to the top, you're like, no, not really. Is there a view from the top? No. Like, is there some sort of historical significance that's particularly special or, or different to the rest of Rome? And no, you don't get that either. It's like, right, okay, so it is just a staircase. And, yeah, I should have spent uh, another my... <laughs> two hours
0: at the Forum instead. <laughs> exactly right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Paris Syndrome, I mean, it, it's an actual thing, but it sounds just freakish and odd. People apparently... Uh, in the most extreme bits, get hallucinations, anxiety, dizziness, sweating, vomiting, tachycardia. Have you ever (laughs) seen anything that extreme, Ben?
1: I certainly haven't witnessed it. Yeah, as as you were saying in your intro, this is something that has has tended in the past to affect mostly Japanese tourists for some reason. I'm I'm not really sure why that is. Um it was the the, the syndrome was was sort of first diagnosed by a Japanese psychiatrist who was working in France and, and was obviously witnessing this in in the flesh and because it was happening in Paris because people had such huge, huge expectations of, of Paris and its beauty and, and how spectacular the experience would be of being there. And and when that didn't match up you know obviously as we were saying people were were swooning and falling over in the streets and and having hallucinations and nausea and and all sorts of things and and I have to say i've I've never witnessed that myself with anybody I've been traveling with. Uh, there is certainly, you know, you do get to some places like the Spanish Steps, like the, you know, Hollywood Walk of Fame, like some of the European beaches that, that turn out to be just a whole lot of pebbles, um, you know, places like Vegas, which is just like one big sort of, you know, testament to, to people's willingness to throw their money away. And and you kind of look at each other and you're like, oh, really? Like, is this it? Like, that's kind of weird, isn't it? And, and I suppose it's a little bit disappointing to have spent that much money to get there and realize. That, but there tends to always be other things around that you can kind of move on to and enjoy, and and just realize that you need to tailor this place to your own personal interests rather than what the rest of the world has told you is amazing about these things, and and that's yeah. that's been kind of the key, I think, to to my travels anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems ironic that social media is fueling this phenomenon because it's showing people the perfect, you know, <laughs> image of these places, and then people rock up, and apparently a lot of the disappointment is about the fact that there are other people there trying to get the same shot. <laughs> (laughs) You know, where is my isolated swing bridge in Switzerland? I can't believe I had to bump shoulders with someone. Or the weather isn't perfect. I mean, does this speak to a little bit of a sense of entitlement, Ben, that people are not bothering to read about the weather?
1: I don't know that it's entitlement. I, I think it's fairly reasonable to to have for people to have these expectations because of social media because it's it's really even though you know that social media is so heavily curated and it and it's such a highlights package you know I, I people only ever show you the good stuff and and you know that in your heart in your head but still, it's so so difficult to kind of separate that that vision to what you know is going to be reality. And and I've certainly had that when you get to places like there's this rock in Norway um, that it's such a famous Instagram location. You know, people take photos standing on this this cliff edge, basically, in this really spectacular location in the mountains. And it looks like they're the only person for miles because it's such intense wilderness. But when you actually get there, there are hundreds of people just standing around waiting for the person to get off the edge of the cliff so they can go over there and get their photo looking like they're in the middle of nowhere as well. And, and you know, in my mind, I know that that's the case and I know that so many destinations around the world are going to be like that. You know, you see the the photo of the Taj Mahal at dawn and there's just one person standing there maybe pretending to pinch the top of it as everybody does. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get there, obviously there are going to be thousands and thousands of people there and it's going to be really hot and maybe it'll be smoky as well and... and you know but but again you know the it is so difficult to to kind of get your head around the, the expectation and manage your expectation in that way because oh, yeah. social media is such a powerful tool, I, I think.
0: And I guess, you know, I, I feel like perhaps social media is a lost cause. There's no way social media is going to include the <laughs> pigeon poo and the graffiti. But what about the, the tourism and media and the government campaigns? I mean, is, there's not really any, any incentive for them to include graffiti or the realities in their shots, is there? But h- how do we how do we, you know how, how can people work out that that this is a real place with real people there might be poverty for them to encounter as well yeah yeah this and this is a thing uh, obviously I
1: encounter this in my job as well you know I my, it's my job to to kind of tell stories of the places that I go to in in ways that kind of reflect reality but uh, but also in ways that aren't a downer and, and that aren't saying this place is terrible and and don't come here because nobody really wants to read about that on a Sunday morning and, and so it's about trying to find this this balance that presents reality but at the same time presents something inspiring and beautiful and obviously social media doesn't really have that responsibility social media is is purely beautiful beauty and, and and goodness and and get me the likes and get me the followers and make me famous. Um whereas whereas you know traditional traditional media and tourism campaigns it is their job to try and get people to come to their destination but at the same time I suppose try to manage those expectations as well um, but but no one's you know no one's going to have a tourism campaign to sell their destination and talk about the, the poverty there or the way that Airbnb is is affecting people's ability to rent in the locations that people want to go to and, and of course the more effective those campaigns are the more people arrive and the less charming that destination then is. Is because of all these people here. This is a this is a really difficult thing I think for for tourism destinations to manage. Is this idea that success kind of ruins the place that they're trying to sell, and and so how do you balance that, and how do you keep keep numbers at a manageable level and keep enjoyment up while also you know enjoying the benefits of, of tourism that uh, financially that, that they can bring in.
0: Well, I imagine Paris is thinking very carefully about this now as they prep for the Olympics. How, what approach do you think they're going to take, Ben? Yeah, this is – look, I, I
1: think Paris – there's some certain destinations around the world, I think, that don't have to sell themselves. They don't have to do anything, really. Paris is one of them. Rome is one of them. Venice is another one. Amsterdam, uh, you know, places like this, they just – they don't have to st- – get out there and tell the world, you should come here. We've got something amazing because everybody already knows about it. So the Olympics is, is kind of interesting. It, you know, obviously people put on Olympics partly to sell themselves to the world and to encourage tourists to come along and, and people to invest there and, and all sorts of things. And and Paris, to me, like doesn't really have to do that. So it, obviously there's a sort of gravitas to having uh, an event like this, which which they will really enjoy. But in terms of tourists coming to the city, it, it could actually t- turn out to be a problem. You don't really need that many more people to come to Paris. And then there is a certain tipping point where it's just really unpleasant for everyone. And I, and I think anyone who's been over to Europe for this European summer to places like Rome, Italy, all over Italy, all over France, some of Spain have realized that, that yeah, maybe there are too many of us going to the same destinations and, and it is actually ruining them. And And so Paris, I think, is is probably in danger of that even and in danger of much more people having Paris syndrome because they'll get there and just share their experience with so many millions of other tourists.
0: Yep, yep. For some reason, I got a lot of uh, Facebook photos popping up from Delft. Everyone I knew was going to Delft. It's like, uh uh-oh, watch out, (laughs) Delft. Some really interesting texts coming through as we speak with Ben Groundwater, who's a travel journalist. He's been to lots of these places and can speak from experience. And he hosts a podcast called Flight of Fancy. This one's pertinent. Travel disappointment is, as they say, a first world problem. Another, uh, my first visit to Paris was as a 19-year-old uni student. I was spending a week there with my friend. For the first three days, I couldn't see past the rubbish and dog poo. On the fourth day, I finally saw past it to Paris's beauty. Decades later, it's still one of my favourite cities in the world. That's from Jennifer. Another recent story from Lee, not me, but my 23 year old son who arrived in Paris when the pension riots and the garbage strike was on. All his text messages to me were, oh, mum, so much gr- rubbish. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, another uh, story from um, Thailand. I took a friend to a place called Sukhothai in Thailand. I had a uh, been to Thailand many times, but never there. Pictures on the internet looked amazing. Beautiful ruins with a lake and water lilies. Well, says the text from Steve, when we got there and to the park where all the ruins, etc were, I was in shock and very disappointed. Run down, God knows where the lake was, let alone the water lilies. A factory outlet for fake antique ceramics was great, but after hitting my head on a low veranda that said, in Thai, low veranda, we got flights out earlier than we planned. <laughs> Beware of Photoshop. Things are always what they seem, says Steve and someone else says yeah you can't photoshop life lol um Ben what about the role of disappointment in travel is it is it actually part of the experience of travel it it is in some ways I mean it's it's
1: part of the experience of the world isn't it you know not not everywhere can possibly live up to the expectations that we have I, I and and as I was saying earlier I think part of it or part of the success of travel is kind of learning to manage that disappointment and turn it into something that really appeals to you. You know, you get to a place or a certain location, like maybe Sukhothai. the the ruins weren't actually that good. But but surely there's something in that place that can appeal to you and, and that you can kind of feel like that you discovered, like maybe go and see what the local food scene is like there. Um, you know I'm not saying that your listener did anything wrong it, it's it's a completely normal thing to just think you know what we're much better to just get out of here and that's fine as well you know if that's the right decision for you but usually there's something around that you can find that, that is kind of exciting or or even quirky or just worthy of a, of a story to tell everybody when you get home um, but, but one of the things that you know obviously we're talking about Paris and I find Paris really interesting that there's this syndrome named after it because to me Paris is an amazing city I absolutely love it and uh, I used to run tours. I worked for a tour company that went through Paris all the time. And and that was the first destination, European destination we would go to. This was the sort of, you know, typical boozy backpacker tour type thing. And we would arrive in Paris, we'd go to the campsite, we would get all set up, and then we'd get everyone in the coach and go and do a night tour of Paris and drive around the city and have a look at the sights at night. And to me, you know, I did that so many times that it wasn't that exciting to look out the window. But what I really enjoyed was sitting in the bus, facing all of the other people and, and watching them and their reactions, as we drove around, you know, as we came around the corner and they saw the Eiffel Tower for the first time, and there was just so much excitement and joy on their faces. and And I've never forgotten that. You know, to me, Paris is such an exciting place and such a beautiful place. maybe maybe darkness kind of helps to hide the the graffiti and the rubbish. i don't I don't know. but but, yeah, I, I think it's 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 kind of ironic that it has ended up having this syndrome named after it, given it's such an amazing place.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I mean, I do wonder whether we need to bring back, I mean, stick with me here, reading up on a place before we go, <laughs> travel guides what? to people still, like the weather, I mean, who doesn't check the weather before they go there? It may rain in Peru, shock.
1: Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, part of it is is definitely research and arriving at the right time. I, again, I you know I reference Rome quite a bit because I've spent a lot of time there, and it, and it is a place that gets very busy and also extremely hot. And you know, if you arrive there in August, it is going to be so so hot, and there's going to be no one there because all the Romans leave and go on holidays in August as soon as Ferragosto is over. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have an awful time, and you're going to be really disappointed. And you could come away and tell everyone, "Oh God, Rome was horrible." It's not horrible. You went at the wrong time, and so so yeah, maybe people do need to sort of take a, a little bit of responsibility for for those decisions
0: as well. Yeah, I love this final text. Talking of graffiti, I loved that about Rome and the unkept parks. It showed it was real. People lived there. And I think that's an amazing thing about traveling when you go to somewhere that you've always wanted to go and realize that it's inhabited by normal, ordinary human beings as well, just like you. Ben Groundwater, thanks so much for joining us on Life Matters to talk about the hilarious and appalling Paris Syndrome.
1: No problem. Great to chat.
0: Ben Groundwater is a travel journalist. He hosts a podcast called Flight of Fancy and he will be joining us on Life Matters semi-regularly to explore some of the ideas behind travel with some handy tips for smooth sailing or flying or bussing or caravanning or whatever cranks your tractor.
1: Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to
0: play ABCRN.